This sermon, Two Ways to Live, was preached on May 28, 2023 by Pastor Derek Overstreet at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. Well, open up your Bibles with me to Psalm 1. If you're visiting, my name is Derek. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here along with Tom Wilkins and Tim Lambros. Uh, We begin a new series this morning, a series in Psalms, Psalm 1, and we're going to begin by, I'd like you to hear from a man by the name of Tremper Longman. Some of you may be aware of who he is. He wrote an outstanding book called How to Read the Psalms. If you're looking for a great little book to be your aid in reading and your study of the Psalms, this is a good one. But listen to what he says about the Psalms. He says, God is present in every corner of his creation. He is with us whether we are at work or at home, shopping or studying, in the city or in the country, at sea or at land. He is everywhere with us no matter what we do. Nonetheless, the scripture makes it clear that God's presence permeates the world. He chooses to dwell in a special way in certain places and to make his presence known at certain times. For instance, the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai in a special way at the time that Moses received the law. His presence was manifested and experienced in a way that was not repeated on any other mountain until he chose to dwell on the Mount Zion in the time of Solomon. These special places of God's presence are places of intimate and at times fearful encounters with the God of the universe. They are places which demand human response. They demand worshipful prayer. And the Psalms are such a divine human encounter. And they find their actual setting within the formal worship of Israel. As we read the Psalms, listen to what he says, as we read the Psalms, we are entering into the sanctuary, the place where God meets men and women in a special way. We will see that the conversation between God and his people is direct, intense, intimate, and above all, honest. And then he says this, thus the Psalms are a kind of literary sanctuary in the scriptures. I love the way he said that. The Psalms, in a sense, are a literary sanctuary within the scriptures. You know, in one sense, every page of scripture is a literary sanctuary because we We find God there. But it is uniquely true, and we will learn this over the summer, it is uniquely true about the Psalms. To to paraphrase John Piper, we go to the Psalms to think and feel with God. When the cloud of despair hangs over us, we go to the Psalms to plead with honest questions and God gives us honest answers. When, when doubts quench our hope, we go to the Psalms to meet the God of unending hope. 
When loneliness presses in, maybe that's you right now. When loneliness presses in, we go to the Psalms to learn how much God truly loves us. We go to the Psalms because the primary psalmist, David himself, struggled just like us. I love what fourth century theologian and bishop said, when this, with this book, meaning the Psalms, it is as if it is our own words that we read. Anyone who hears them is pierced to the heart as though these words voiced from him his deepest thoughts. Isn't this why we love the Psalms? Today we start a summer-long series in the literary, in the literary sanctuary of the Psalms. And our prayer is simple, that together we learn to think and feel about life in a godless world with our wonderful God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where we're going this summer as we spend much time with the Lord in the Psalms. So would you stand and let's read our first Psalm, verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 1. A familiar passage, I'm sure. We pray it will be transforming today in fresh ways. David writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you for gathering us. We pray for our brothers and sisters, our friends and family who are not with us this morning. Be with them. May they know your, your presence. May they know your peace. May they know your pleasure. Lord, bring them back to us safely. But for those that you have gathered here this morning, Lord, would you cause this, this psalm that I'm sure is probably all too familiar, Lord, would you cause it to be new in our minds and hearts today? Would you reveal yourself as we enter into this literary sanctuary where we come to your throne in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, asking that you would have your way in us. Holy Spirit, renew our joy. Refresh our gladness. Give us a happiness that cannot be found in this world as we look into your word now. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you turn your TV onto CNN, you are going to get what is happening in our country and around the world from a particular perspective. If you turn your channel to CNN, you will get a liberal perspective for what is going on around us. Of course, if you click over a few numbers to Fox TV, you will get a specific perspective, a conservative perspective about what is going on in our world and in our country. And I don't need to tell you this, but they are two very different views, two very different perspectives, two very different ways of thinking and living, two very different ways of interpreting what is going on in the world around us. So it is with Psalm 1. The longest book in the Bible begins by presenting two different ways to live, and they are very different. Two different perspectives that could not be farther apart. This is the the title of the sermon this morning is Two Ways to Live. The points are simple. You probably already figured them out. The way of the world and the way of the word. So let's look at the first point this morning, the way of the world. Notice in verse one how it begins. Blessed or blessed is the man. I love how this, this book begins. One word, blessed. 150 chapters, 149 chapters follow. And all of them follow this word, blessed. It's a word that's used at least 26 times in the Psalms. And simply speaking, it means happiness. That's what it means. It means happiness. Actually, here in verse 1, it's in the plural. So a literal translation would be blessings or much happiness belongs to the man. In fact, the the form of this word, there's a couple different forms in the Hebrew. This one actually, actually leans toward the way people view one. He is a blessed man. He is a man of much blessings. He is a man of great happiness. It's appropriate. The book that speaks so much to humanity, so much to the things that we think and feel so much, if you will, to our senses begins with the idea of happiness because happiness is at the top of everyone's list, isn't it? Everyone wants a life of blessing. Why? Well, because God hardwired us for it. God created us for happiness. He created us for joy. He created us for blessing. Here's the key, in him. In him. Of course, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that in the garden, humanity carved out its own way. That's what happened with Adam in the garden and Eve and the serpent. They decided there was another way other than God's way to pursue 
happiness, blessing, joy in the Lord. They carved out a way without God. Well, Psalm 1 begins... Psalm 1 begins by introducing to us a man who is blessed, a man of much happiness. But he is a man who, as we will see, turns away from the ways of the world. Notice what it says first. Blessed is the man who what? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. These are, these are pretty self-explanatory. We don't need to spend a lot of time on each one of these, but this is the person who looks to the world for wisdom. This is a person who looks to the world for direction, for guidance. They seek counsel from the world. They think like the world. They think about their life and what is happening around them as the world does. Second, he says, blessed is the man who, who, not, who does not stand in the way of sinners. That idea of standing in the way is, well, it points to behavior. This is a person who, who doesn't just think like the world, but they, they live like the world. They don't stick out. They fit in. They are party to the world's ways. They are, if you will, part of the herd. And then finally, the psalmist says, nor does the blessed man sit in the seat of scoffers. In scripture, a a scoffer is someone who arrogantly derides, who arrogantly denies God and Christ and the Christian faith. Someone who arrogantly denies derides Christians for what they cling to, if you will. And so we have three, three categories here, and there is a powerful warning in the very first verse of Psalms. It's a warning about influence. Listening, if you, I think we need we to be careful reading too much into the order of these, but if We just follow it at a surface level. We don't have to think about this too much. Listening to the counsel of the wicked leads to thinking like the wicked. And before you know it, you are living like the wicked. Do you see the rhythm? Do you see the the pathway here? There's influence. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, I don't know, let's see what, second grade, I believe. And I was grounded from watching Happy Days. Now, a lot of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Hey, there's the man who's about my age. See, yeah, singing the song, singing along. Here's why. I loved Fonzie. He was my hero. So much so that at some point, I I just... And subconsciously, my dad or my mom, how you doing, Derek? Hey. That's the way I would respond. I thought like Fonzie. I acted like Fonzie. And it drove my parents nuts. So they said, if you're, okay, I'll tell you what, son, if, if, if you're answered everything, no more happy days. So I was cut off. But we see that idea of 
influence here, right? If we're not careful, it's easy to, 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 to join in. I love what John Piper says about these three verses. He said, nobody walks in the way of wicked out of duty. Nobody stands in the way of sinners out of duty. Nobody sits in the scoffers out of duty. We walk and stand and sit there because we want to. And we want to because we have been watching them so intently that what they do now is attractive. We have meditated on them without calling it that. And now we delight in them. That is how worldliness happens. Here's an important question for us right up front. How often do you evaluate your relationship with the world? Do you give that any thought? Any thought at all? Have you ever went to these verses and said, okay, am I in danger of standing in the way of sinners, of walking in the counsel of, wicked, of the wicked? Would, uh, would those that know me best be concerned. And my point is not we disengage with the world, but instead, as we engage the world that God has put us in, as we engage the world around us, our lives should clearly reflect a conviction that the world's godless wisdom, values, and approach to life are futile. And, and, and don't hear me wrong. It's not that, that the world has no wisdom. It's that their wisdom is godless, which really makes it no wisdom at all if you understand wisdom from God's word. When the world offers wisdom, it's wisdom. It's just sex. Go ahead. Alcohol will ease the pain. Money is the measure of a man. Sorry, Derek, the Bible can't help you here. Or staying true to your heart is the truest way to be you. <laughs> that has all manner of implications that we're experiencing today. When the world... When the world gives the blessed man their wisdom, their ways, the psalmist says, the blessed man says, time out, wrong, no. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, Psalm 1 tells us the blessed man doesn't stop at no. He, he says no to the ways of the world, but he does not stop at no. Because you know, because you know your Bibles well, you know that saying no is only half, only half the way to happiness. If we say no only, sooner or later, the world's ways will erode our no away. 
That's why it's important to evaluate our relationship, not only with the world, but to evaluate, to evaluate our relationship with the, world, with the Lord. So the blessed man says no, and there's actually blessing in the negative. Yes, there's blessing in saying no, but he also says yes. The blessed man in Psalm 1 is a yes man in a godly way. Notice what he says in verse 2. He doesn't do this, verse 1, ways of the world. He does do this, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I think verse two here is the gateway to the entire book of Psalms. In fact, if you go to Psalm, or Psalm 119, 176 verses are rolled up really in these 19 words here in verse two. Because because Psalm 119 is all about showing forth the treasure and the value of God's word. And so the point here that the psalmist makes in turning this corner is that the blessed man doesn't orient his life around the ways of the world. He orients his life around God's word, around God's ways revealed in his word. He delights in the heavenly instructions of God's law, which, by the way, is just another word for God's word. We'll see a lot of different ways the psalmist refers to God's word this summer. <clears throat> but the blessed man, the man whose life is filled with happiness, delights in God's word. Now, that word delight, I think we understand that. I hope we understand that word. Delight is a heart response. It's a heart response of joy, happiness, excitement for something or for someone that we see as beautiful, that we see as valuable. Husband and wife, you delight in your spouse. Parents, you delight in your children. I'm a papa, and I delight in my grandkids. I had one of my grand, I had my grandson over, one of my grandsons over last night, and Don was like, yeah, I, you really didn't, you really didn't talk to me too much. <laughs> we were eating fake ice cream and looking at football cards and shooting basketball. Oh, what a delight to have my grandson over last night. I love being with my grandkids. I take great joy in them. I love spending time with them. I love talking to them. I love teaching them in the ways that I can. I delight in my grandkids. Psalm 1 says, the blessed man delights in divine wisdom. He delights in divine wisdom. And that delight leads him, therefore, to spend time with God's word. Did you notice what it says in the second half, verse two? He meditates on it day and night. That is, he reads it, he 
thinks about it. He rolls it over in his mind. He treasures it. He writes it on his heart through memorization. Like air to the lungs, God's word is life to his soul. And so he keeps going back. In fact, notice verse 2. If you, if you could just draw on a map, or you can use your pencil if you want, it's up to you. But just draw a line from delight to meditate. There's something going on here, right? He delights in God's word. He meditates on it day and night. And the more he meditates on it, the more he delights on in it. The more he delights in it, the more he meditates. And so if you could just see that line between delight and meditate bouncing back and forth, back and forth, there is this endless loop of delight and meditating each, both feeding off of one another. The more I delight in God's word, the more I meditate. The more I meditate, I find God, so the more I delight. And it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That, that's the picture here. We, when we go, when we approach God's word humbly, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to talk about going to the Psalms with Jesus before we're done today. When we go and we say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. When he engages us, it's transforming. Uh, I'm not talking about when you just go, okay, I got my chapter in this morning. Here we go. But when we truly go to God's word to hear from him, to learn from him, when we humble ourselves, allow ourselves to, to fall under the conviction of the spirit as we read, there is a delight that rises up in our souls. And, and the effect, the effect is that our delight in the world's ways increasingly diminishes. You know, that's the interesting thing about delight and desire, huh? To push one delight out takes another delight. The more you delight in the word of God, the more you delight in the God of the word, well, the more the ways of the world diminish in your desires. Recently, Bob, is, Bob Raby is taking care of our front landscaping up here. He's doing a good job, isn't he? Yep. He's transforming it. Can I use that word, Bob? <laughs> but Bob set out a plan, and he brought it to the pastors. And part of his plan was... I want to take that palm tree down. I was like, oh, I love the palm tree. But we told Bob, hey, do something here, and we'll trust you with this. And so he says, Derek, I'm taking the palm tree down. And I said, he said, you okay with that? And I said, I just looked at Bob, and I said, just make me forget about the palm tree. (laughs) In other words, make it so good that I will forget about that palm tree. In a sense, that's what the psalmist is saying here, right? 
when we delight in God's word, when we go humbly, it pushes those, those desires for the ways of the world. And I would submit to you, if you're struggling with giving yourself to the ways of the world, you feel like, man, pastor, I'm kind of in verse one. Well, it may be that you're, you're not in verse two enough. You're not in God's word enough where you find him. And this is really why the Psalms exist, right? To shape our minds and awaken true delight in our hearts so powerfully that we freely say no to the wisdom and ways of this world because we are so convinced and captivated by something far more glorious. And notice the effect in verse 3. He points you back to verse 1. Blessed is the man, the blessed man, the man of much happiness. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. My in-laws had a lake house for years, and their lot was at the, this point, and so three-quarters of their property was surrounded by water. And there was probably 50 feet between their back deck and the edge of the lake. And in between the lake and the deck stood this enormous I think it was an oak tree. The, 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 the stump was like this. Its branches must have fanned out 30 feet in every direction at least. It cast shade over almost the entire backyard. You could sit on the porch and listen to the birds. It was filled with Green leaves thick with, co with color and foliage. The squirrels were everywhere. If you, if you sat under it, you would receive well-needed shade in the summer heat of Arkansas, although it's, it's, it's so humid there. The, the shade doesn't do that much, I guess. This tree, you just, it was a blessing you would just go, this thing is beautiful. Look at so much that benefits from it. This thing has been living for so long. What could kill this tree? How many winters and storms has this thing been through? This is the kind of tree that the psalmist illustrates the spiritual reality of the Christian life with. A tree that is strong, that is healthy, that is right next to an unending source of water. That, that bears its green leaves. And there's two things about this tree that we need to understand. One, it's spiritual, it's not physical. What I mean by that 
is the health of this tree, the prosperity of this tree, the fruitfulness of this tree. It doesn't have to do with your physical health or the size of your house or the dollars in your bank account. It has everything to do with your walk with God. This is a picture of somebody spiritually. This is not a picture of someone who has everything or is, or is uber successful. You know that person? Everything that guy touches turns to gold. He prospers in everything he does. That's not the psalmist's point here. This is a spiritual tree. This is speaking to our spiritual life, our spiritual strength, our spiritual fruitfulness. The second thing we need to understand about this tree is this tree is connected to verse 2. It's connected to the no here and the yes here. But it is not a reward. It's an effect. And that's really important. This tree is not a reward. It is an effect. This tree represents the effect of allowing your life to be oriented around and rooted in the living waters of God's word. That that effect is strength in the Lord, even though you feel physically weak. The effect is a walk with God that bears much fruit, even when your business is fruitless. The effect is a spiritual prosperity as you serve others, even though your bank account is on life support. You see, the word is active. It's alive. Paul wrote to Timothy, said it's profitable for all things. It, it equips us, making us competent. In the, in the, in the hands of the Spirit, the, the, the Word gives us all things we need. God provides for life and for godliness. And the effect is spiritual strength, is spiritual health. You might have a cancer that nobody can cure, but you can be standing in the Lord just as this tree stands in the beginning of the book of Psalms. And really, what a stark contrast that the psalmist presents to us here between the one who orients their life around the world and the one who orients their life around the word. Notice verse four. He says, after painting this, this picture of the tree, he says, turns his attention to those in, uh, in verse one. The wicked are not so. I, lo I love how he, David does that. The wicked, they're not so. But I'll tell you what they're like. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Unlike the deep-rooted, fruit-bearing tree, the wicked are like chaff that the wind just drives away. Chaff, chaff, is, a, chaff is dead holes, if you will, or, or maybe straw, if you will, that, that when, when the winnowing time, during the, when the harvest came and, and they were winnowing, the idea of winnowing is that they would throw the grains up into the air and the dead holes, the chaff, nothing to it, no life in it, 
So it would blow away. It would be taught, the grain would be tossed up into the air and the chaff would, the wind would pick up the chaff and blow it away. It becomes useless. Dave says, so it is with the godless. So it is with those who sit in the seat of sinners. So it is with those who listen and think like the world. So it is with those whose values and approach to life is godless. They are not like this tree. They are like chaff. Listen, the the world, the world may seem like it has it all together. And actually, they're pretty good at that. Satan is pretty good at camouflaging to draw our attention. In fact, I'd encourage you sometime this week, go to Psalm 73. Uh, There's a wonderful picture where uh, Asaph actually unpacks this reality. He he just is very honest. He says, man, I look at the world around me and I am jealous. I consider throwing my lot in with them. And then at some point in the psalm, he says, but then I stepped back and I went into the sanctuary and I considered their end and it changed. Well, that, that, that is really, in a nutshell, that is what we have here in these verses. The world may seem like it has it all together. The world, the world may seem like they have it all figured out, but it's all imaginary. It's not reality. God owns reality. God determines your reality. And things, in the words of John Calvin and Psalm 1 and this particular verse, things aren't always as they seem. In fact, look at, look at verse 4 again. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The godless will not stand on God's day of judgment. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have Jesus in your heart by faith, it doesn't matter how good life is going for you right now. You are not that strong and beautiful tree that will not die. You are dead chaff driven away to eternal judgment. And in one sense, you know it. The, the, the lost sinner knows it. They're searching for something. They know this world is wrong. They know this world is off. And they're either trying to drown out their sorrows or find their happiness in something else. But they know They know something is off. So what is the point of all this? Well, the point is be the tree, not the chaff. Be the tree. Kind of rhymes. Be the tree. 
not the chap. Orient your life around God and his word, not this world and its ways. Delight in divine instruction, not human perspective. This is where you will find true blessings and happiness. But this doesn't begin, not even in a literary sanctuary. This pursuit begins on a literal cross. And if you're here this morning, that's what I need you to know above all things. You don't just be the tree. Pastor, tell me what I need to do to be the tree. Well, here's what you do. You go to another tree shaped like a cross. You get on your knees and you cry out to Jesus for mercy. I am a sinner. I have given my life to this world. I have lived my life for myself. I can feel the chaff inside. Have mercy on me. Put your faith by the grace and power of God in the one who hung on another tree for you. For the Christian in the room, here's a reality. We don't always feel like a tree planted by streams of water, do we? I know I don't. Is your delight in God's word drifting today? You want to be the tree, but you feel like the chaff. So I'm going to give you the best counsel I can to prepare you for our series in the Psalms. A wise man once told me, never approach the Psalms alone. Always find Jesus in the Psalms and don't leave his side. If you try and be the tree without Jesus, you will get crushed because ultimately... It's Jesus who is the tree. In fact, notice that word in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word righteous points our eyes toward Jesus because we know there is only one man who stands righteous in God's judgment. We know that there is only one man who can stand over and against the ungodly and their ways. We know that there is one man who is prosperous in all he does. One man who perfectly delights in God's word. It's the living word, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the man here in Psalm 1 is not you and it is not me. It is Jesus. But make no mistake, you are in this psalm. Because by faith, Oh, and, and hear this, believe this, embrace this. It makes all the difference. By faith, all Jesus is and all Jesus has belongs to you. It belongs to you. In Christ, you are the blessed man 
who delights in God's word. In Christ, you are the tree. You are the righteous that God knows. I know too often we, we think and we act and we scoff like the wicked. We've all been guilty of it even this week. But the gospel is the ultimate living water that flows into the roots of our lives. It is the ultimate living water. The work of the Spirit that brings our dead bones to life, spiritually speaking. No one here is born the tree. We're all born the chaff. And we will die the chaff. And we will spend eternity as the chaff, apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so we have to see the tree. We have to see the tree in Psalm 1 through the lens of the tree on Calvary. I love, this verse came to mind this week as I just mused and wondered over this tree in verse 3. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Amazing. Jesus died in our place on a tree so we could say no to the ways of the world, die to sin. And yes to God's word, live to righteousness. Bringing eternal blessing, not momentary happiness, not circumstance-dependent happiness, but eternal happiness, which really is joy in the Lord and bringing unmatchable glory to Christ. That's amazing grace. That's amazing grace. Peter speaks into Psalm 1. Peter helps us understand this tree that at the heart of it is a crucified and risen Savior. Don't just go to Psalm 1 and end with, yeah, I need to dig into God's word. I need to study it more. I need to live it out and apply it more. Yes to all of those. But if you approach Psalm 1 on your own, it will crush you. Because on your own, you don't make it past verse 1. <laughs> None of us do. Christ makes us who we are and gives us what we have. So as we close, what does application look like besides a couple points that I've already mentioned? Well, I, I want to end with just a very simple application. Make the Psalms 
your constant companion. Live in the Psalms. The NIV application commentary says, the Psalms can and should be a part of the constant practice of the presence of God. Regularly read from beginning to end, regularly read from beginning to end, they lead us again and again to consider aspects of life and of God's will that we might not otherwise choose to remember or confront, let alone to embody in our living. Memorized in chunks, the Psalms can provide ready response to the pressing realities of our days. When I have awakened in a panic in the darkness of the early mornings, hours, submerged in fear, self-pity, or self-doubt, the Psalms have often provided the assurance that my anxieties are known by God who enlightens my dark places. So I encourage you to make the Psalms your constant companion. Make the Psalms, especially right now as we spend the next three months in this literary sanctuary, make the Psalms your constant companion. Change your devotional habits if you must. Find a way to be in the Psalms. Talk about the Psalms in your home, with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends. <coughs> Run to the Psalms. Visit the literary sanctuary often. Keep its words on your mind, in your heart, on your lips, believing that with Jesus, with Jesus, every letter of the psalmist is for your life. That you may be blessed and happy in Jesus for this life and the life to come. For God's glory and renown. Blessed is that man. Much happiness belongs to that man. Let's pray.